Raider Nation, it's that time of the week again. Subscribe and tune in to get the latest news and analysis on everything silver and black. But yes, the Las Vegas Raiders have their guy, Josh McDaniels. Looking for objective opinions and interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast. Brought to you by SportsNot.com. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. And now your host, Evan Grote. back Raider Nation and let's go. This is Just Pod Baby. I am Evan Grote and we're brought to you by SportsNot.com. Please be sure to check out the website and give them a follow on Twitter at SportsNot and check me out on Twitter as well while you're at it at egrote 5 The 2022 NFL Draft is now in the books. The Raiders made six selections and overall the picks universally uh, received pretty high praise from the various draft pundits that are out there but I'm interested to know what you think. I want to know your opinion how did you think the Raiders did in this year's draft? Please reach out to me through Twitter, uh, tweet at me, send me a DM, hit me up on the contact page over at the website, justpodbaby.com. I'd love to hear what you think about the players that the Raiders brought in in this year's draft. Now, obviously, the draft is going to be a big topic of the show this week. I will give you my thoughts on each player, and we will take a dive into each one of them and see how they may fit with this organization going forward. I will also get you some of my thoughts on the draft as a whole. As you know, it was hosted by the city of Las Vegas this year. I personally thought the first round lacked some of the drama we normally get. Uh, I will expand on some of that here in just a moment. And as always... We will be joined by some guests later on in the show, just like I did during the free agency period. I had what I called the get to know segments, uh, where we spoke to beat writers from the various teams where the free agents came from. Same deal here with the draft picks. I reached out to a few people to give us uh, some help to help us learn more about these young bucks who will be uh, wearing the silver and black. So later on in the show, we will speak with Frank Bonner II from the Daily Memphian to talk Dylan Parham. We've got Seth Emerson from The Athletic, who is a senior writer, and he covers the Georgia Bulldogs. It was a huge draft for the Bulldogs, as you know, 15 selections. Uh, and also Wilson Alexander will join the show from The Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He covers the LSU Tigers football, and he will give us the lowdown on new defensive tackle uh, Neil Farrell Jr. So another jam-packed show forthcoming for you. Let's kick it off now. As I said, the NFL draft has now concluded and for me, you know, I'm a huge fan of the draft, the, the whole event, uh, but this one really lacked the excitement and the drama uh, that we have seen in past years. Of course, the Raiders not having a round one or two pick certainly played a role in some of that excitement, uh, but without the star quarterbacks, th- that was really what it really was it. Um, it, it the draft kind of lacked that high end talent uh, in round one, and I, I think it was you know, it was just a little bit boring for me to uh, personally. And I, I also thought the fact that you had several teams with multiple picks, for instance, the Jaguars, they had two selections. The the, the Jets chose three times, uh, who I thought did an excellent job, by the way, on paper, at least. The Giants, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Packers, they all had two picks as well. 25% of the league did not have a pick on Thursday night in, in round one. And, and so the draft, the first round of the draft, was completely dominated by a handful of teams. And and, and that took away from, again, the excitement uh, for me. Now, I, I, I watched 
Uh, I watched the whole entire draft from start to finish, but apparently many people out there did not because I saw some of the ratings and they were down significantly from past years. The average viewership for round one came in at about 10 million people, and that's down from 12.5 million in 2021 and 15.3 million in 2020. Now, if I was the one calling the shots, I would love to see it go back to the original format where they held it on Saturday and Sunday. It was a two-day draft. Uh, as a fan of the draft, I love that. Draft parties all day long on Saturday afternoon. You know, you've got your premium rounds, one, two, three, uh, all there on Saturday afternoon. You sit around with your buddies and just enjoy it. It was a really good time. Uh, but, you know, there's too much money to be made, you know, by moving it to prime time. And, and so that's how the NFL operates. It is a business. Money is always the motivating factor for them. And, and so that's how it's going to be done um, going forward. But for me, round one, little anticlimactic. Um, as for your Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they finally got it started on, on Friday night, round three, uh, pick 86 overall. And, and this year's draft class includes three, uh, excuse, me, excuse me, round three selection, um, who was uh, Dylan Parham, offensive lineman from Memphis. Two round four selections, running back Zamir White out of Georgia and defensive tackle Neil Farrell uh, from LSU. In round five, they added a second defensive tackle, Matthew Butler from Tennessee. And then in round seven, they picked up another offensive lineman, Thayer Munford uh, from Ohio State and, and a second running back, uh, Britton Brown from UCLA. Now, my initial thoughts and a couple points on the draft as a whole, uh, number one, it's clear that Dave Ziegler uh, sees the holes on the roster the same way many of us saw it. Just last week on the show, I outlined offensive line as a need that was the obvious one. A lot of people were talking about that. But I also pointed out defensive line. And they did add a lot of they did they did add some bodies in free agency to the group. Uh, they they did not bring back anybody from last year's team outside of Jonathan Hankins. And if you recall what I said last week, I still don't know where that uh, pass rush is coming from. So even though they added some bodies in free agency, I still think the defensive line is lacking. Uh, I do question the, the interior pass rush. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure now on Bilal Nichols to be the guy to step up and, and, and be the force in the middle bringing pressure. Number two, the running back position added some competition. And, and then over the weekend, or just, I believe it was maybe Friday, this, this news came out, uh, we learned that the fifth-year options of Cleveland Farrell, Jonathan Abram, and Josh Jacobs would not be exercised, which should come as no big surprise to anyone. I've discussed it here many times. But I want to focus on Josh Jacobs because I think if there's a chance that any of these three guys should come back on a better deal, it would have to be Josh Jacobs. Can he stay healthy? How much does he feel that he's worth? I think that's going to be something that also plays a big part in the discussion on whether or not he does come back. But clearly, Dave Ziegler uh, planning for life without Josh Jacobs by adding a couple of rookies to the uh, to the mix. Seven running backs, I believe, are now on the current roster. Uh, plenty of competition that will have to be sorted out here in the coming months. And then point number three on the draft, there was a common theme with, with the six picks, and, and that is experience. And in some cases, versatility. Taking a look at Dylan Parham, 
51 games played with 51 starts. Samir Zamir White, 38 games played. Neil, Neil Farrell Jr., 50 games played. Matthew Butler, 53 games played. Thayer Mumford, 54 games played. Brenton Brown also played in 42 games between his time at Duke uh, and then finishing up his career at UCLA. So these guys... Uh, come into the NFL with with plenty of college experience. In many cases, you have guys that were three-year starters, uh, big-time programs, SEC football, uh, Pac-10 or Pac-12, excuse me, and and and, and Big Ten. Um, now, does that translate into instant success at the NFL? Does it really mean anything? Not necessarily, but it is something that I I did notice when I was you know taking a deeper look into some of these these new picks. Um, I'm not going to sit here and put a grade on the class. I know a lot of people out there are putting grades on it. I, I've seen, um, I've seen grades anywhere from A minus to to B minus. So it looks again, as I said, it looks like some of the pundits out there feel that the Raiders have done a good job. But these guys have not taken a snap yet. So I'm going to get back to you on that one. We'll say in about two years. Uh, but I do quickly want to talk about uh, in a little bit more detail about each individual player and, and some some of the players I have a little bit more information on than others um, and we will hear more about some of the players when we get to the interviews here in segment two but I want to start with Dylan Parham I think there's a lot to like about this pick he's a guy who brings a ton of versatility to the offensive line which remains a question mark in my opinion you know if you follow uh, if, you, if you follow Dane Brugler and his draft guide like I do you would see Parham is listed as a center in his draft guide. And, and this is where uh, Brugler projects Parham to fit best in the NFL. If you recall last year, when I had Dane on the show pre-draft, I asked him specifically about a couple of players, Alex Leatherwood being one of those guys, because um, he had him listed as a guard and he played tackle most of his career for Alabama. Now, as you know, the Raiders asked him to play left tackle or excuse me, right tackle. And we know that he ended up moving inside. I trust and value Dane Brugler's opinion as much as anyone out there. I think he does a really good job with his analysis and he sees Parham as a center. So, so take that for what it's worth. And also I, I sat here on the show last week and I mentioned Andre James and how I felt his job was safe, at least for this season based on the contract. Um, although, um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of dead money on that contract, but, uh, anyhow with Parham now in the mix, who knows, you know, it, he could push Andre James, uh, you know, if, if James should struggle, uh, and if not at center, then I expect him to, uh, Parham to push for time at possibly even one of the guard spots, you know, keep in mind, Parham has never taken a snap, a game snap at center. But he was asked to to take some snaps at the Senior Bowl. Uh, but based on his ability to adapt and transition uh, from a tight end when he came into college, then they moved him to defensive end, and then eventually playing along the offensive line where he became an all-conference player this past season, I would expect that this guy can handle a move to center if that is what they ask him to do. Now, I still believe that Alex Leatherwood is the key component to this offensive line. I'm guessing the plan is is that they hope Leatherwood can win that right tackle job, that he will show some improvement, he can lock down that right tackle position, and then you figure out your guards. You've got John Simpson, Denzel Good, you've got Dylan Parham, uh, Jermaine Illuminor, I believe, can also play a little bit of guard, uh, and, they're, and they just, they're going to let those guys battle it out. 
uh, for those guard positions. That's the way I, I see it going. Um, if nothing else, though, with Dylan Parham, they have a, a depth lineman um, who will be extremely valuable due to his versatility, can play multiple positions along the line. And that's always a good thing to have. Samir White, uh, he's an interesting guy to me. The former number one running back recruit in the 2018 class. He was the ninth overall prospect in the entire class. This this is a kid who was highly sought after, um, but he does have the, the big red flag with the, the two ACL injuries uh, going back to his days in high school in 2017. I believe it was his final high school game where he tore his ACL and then he, he tore the other ACL in, in 2018. But I will say uh, that was four to five years ago. You know, he's 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 a few years removed from those injuries. He still has great speed. He ran a four four at the combine, and he was product- productive for Georgia over the last two seasons. He led the team in rushing each of those two seasons. He had a healthy four point, or excuse me, five point four yards per carry average, and he knows how to find the end zone. He can finish when he gets into the red zone. Eleven touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. The thing with with White is, I don't know what he offers in the passing game. He just was not asked to do that um, much this, you know, at Georgia. Um, So can he catch the ball? Can he hold up in pass protection? Those would be some of the questions that I would have about him. You know, can he develop into more than just an early down running back? Now, my personal belief is that I think he's in a really good situation with a play caller like Josh McDaniels, who likes to utilize multiple backs, and White has shown that he can be productive at the college level, at least, with a lesser workload. And I would expect that to continue with the Raiders. I don't think he will have a, a much of a role this year. You know, they still have Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. They brought in Brandon Bolden. These are all guys who, uh, you know, are, are veterans. And I think White will have to sit behind these guys and, and learn the system and, and kind of get his feet wet in the NFL here, barring any kind of injuries. But I think next year, because Jacobs, you know, could might not be back as well as Drake. I think next year he could become a big part of a, of a running back by committee. So I think you know, obviously, the role for White would be more in the future. Moving over to defensive tackles, uh, Neil Farrell. He's a giant, three hundred and forty pounds, six four, three forty. He's going to be a tough guy to move around on the interior part of that defensive line. He's not going to offer much to you in the pass rush uh, department, but he's going to eat up blocks, and he should be able to to help collapse the line against the run. And it's an area where the Raiders you could use some help. Uh, looking at that Raiders defensive line right now, there are some big bodies in that D line room between Jonathan Hankins, Andrew Billings, Vernon Butler, and now Neil Farrell Jr. Those guys are all tipping the scales at three thirty plus. Much different than the philosophy with the interior part of the defensive line last season. Matthew Butler, he comes in a little bit lighter than some of those other guys, 300 pounds. Uh, you know, Matthew Butler out of Tennessee. He had his best season in 2021. He was named a team captain. He had a career high five sacks, eight and a half tackles for loss. And he's known uh, for his leadership qualities, very, very smart player. And he's going to come into the NFL uh, well-schooled because he spent this past season under the tutelage of defensive line coach Rodney Garner, who is uh, held in very high regard in the college game. He's coached many great defensive linemen throughout his years. And, and then he had the two seventh-round picks, Thayer Munford, an offensive lineman who was a four-year starter at Ohio State, twice named to the All-Big Ten team, and he brings 
that versatility again that Dave uh, Ziegler covets. You know, he spent three years at left tackle before making the switch to left guard in 2021, and he did make 11 starts there. So another guy along the offensive line who can provide depth and versatility to play multiple positions. Britton Brown, the final selection, uh, a running back who started his career at Duke, played three seasons there, transferred, um, finished up his career at UCLA. And I don't have a ton of info on him. I, I did see some of the combine scouting numbers. Not going to blow you away with his speed. He ran a four six six forty. Could be a guy who is uh, fighting for a roster spot this summer, possibly a practice squad player. We'll have to see how that all plays out for Britton Brown. So that is your rundown of all of the draft picks. Also some of my thoughts on the draft overall. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to a quick break here. When I return, we're going to get to know more about some of these new Raiders rookies. Don't go anywhere. More good stuff coming up here on Just Pod Baby, brought to you by SportsNot.com. Welcome back to Just Pod Baby. Run down the field on them. Your home for all things Las Vegas Raiders football. Raiders! News, views, and guests. Just win, baby. <laughs> There's only one nation, and they listen here. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Raider Nation, glad to have you tuning in with me here this week here on Just Pod Baby as we recap all six of the Raiders' draft picks. And what we're going to do now is go right out to the phone lines and welcome in our first guest to give us a rundown on third-round pick Dylan Parham. To help us do that, from the Daily Memphian is Frank Bonner II, who is a Memphis Tigers beat writer. Frank, we appreciate the time, and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Hey, how's it going with you? I appreciate you being having me on. Yeah, no problem. Let's let's talk some Dylan Parham now. You know, interesting story with him. He was not recruited heavily out of high school. Only a two-star recruit comes into Memphis as a tight end, weighed only two hundred and thirty pounds. He red shirts his first year on campus, and then makes a couple position changes. And then goes on to be a four-year starter along the offensive line for the Tigers. So let's start there. Talk to us about the transition that you saw from Parham during his time with the Memphis football program. Yeah, so um, by the time I got here covering uh, Memphis, Dylan had already been, you know, an offensive lineman. Uh, and so I wasn't here with the transition, but I did talk to uh, head coach Ryan Silverfield about it. And he said that Dylan's just one of those guys that just – is a definition of somebody who just never quit. He said when he got here, he he wasn't really fitting as a tight end. Uh, he didn't fit the, at the at the defensive line. And the head coach Ryan, who was the O line coach at the time, said, "Well, we'll take him." Um, and obviously, he worked out there. And he said that you know Dylan just never he he never thought about transferring or anything like that. You know, he stuck it out. He stayed on the field and, and, and he found his niche and he he took off once he, he realized that he was he could be a, a real force as an offensive lineman and so I think that's one of the things um, that's so great about Dylan is just his ability to just continue to work and continue to work until he finally um, gets over that hump and and, and, and and you know you can see it just take off. Yeah. Now we we I mentioned you know coming in as a as a tight end um obviously you have to be an athlete to play that position um and i think that's one of the things that is a is a positive trait of parm is that he's an offensive lineman that is very athletic um you know talk to us about what what shows up on tape when you watch parm you know does he does he have a quick fire off the ball uh does he have the uh the the ability to operate well in space talk to us uh for a moment about that part of his game 
Yeah, one thing about him is, you know, and, and, and Raider fans are going to see, is that he he moves his feet pretty, you know, he moves his feet pretty good. And I think, um, you know, that comes from, from, you know, being a tight end. Obviously, he was more of a blocking tight end. Uh, but, you know, just having that, that athletic background to him, uh, he can move his feet really good. And what it does is it helps him, um, you know, locate his, his, his second his second defender pretty well. You know, once he once he uh gets into that second level, he can move, um, which I think helps him really well in the run game, you know, when a running back gets to that, that second level of defense. You know, Dylan Parm is one of those offensive linemen who can kinda of get down the field. And then his pass protection is, is, is great. I mean in um five hundred and forty five snaps last year, uh, you know, he didn't allow a single sack. And I think that's just a testament to how well he moves his feet. Um and so that's kind of what you're gonna get and you're gonna see that athleticism um, play out his footwork. We're chatting with Frank Bonner, uh, covers Memphis Tigers football for the Daily Memphian. Uh, what I what I think is most interesting about Dylan Parm is that despite coming in as a tight end, then moving from tight end to defensive end uh, before coming over to the offensive line, is that he was able to pick it up quickly. I mean, that that's not an easy transition to make, and he ends he ends up doing it, playing fifty one games for the Tigers, making fifty one starts, and. Um, you know, played all along the offensive line, right tackle, right guard, left guard, uh, down at the senior bowl in Mobile. They wanted to see him play a little bit of center. So uh, not only is his versatility, uh, but this guy must be highly intelligent to be able to wear all those different hats. What's your take on that? Yeah, and I think that's probably why a lot of scouts and, and people wanted to see him play center just because, you know, that that intelligence that he has, you know, you want your – you would like for your smartest offensive lineman to play that center position because he is kind of the quarterback of that group. Um, and so I think that's, that's one of the, the testaments of just his football IQ. And, you know, to your point, I mean, Dylan's really only scratching the surface um, as an offensive lineman. I mean, only being in this role for four years, playing almost the full gamut of the line, you know, you're going to see him continue to, to develop um, he's already good as it is, but you're going to see him continue to develop as a professional as he continues to learn the position. And for him to be able to to learn different positions as quick as he has been, uh, it just shows to his adaptability and just his mindset and, and focus um, that, you know, any NFL coach is going to love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff there. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about the, the positives, the things that he does well, but you know, we need to get the whole picture here. And he was a third-round pick, so he must have some weaknesses. What are the areas of his game that you think he could use some improvement? Well, um, you know, he did have some, uh, you know, he did have some some false start in terms of penalties, right? You know, he had some false starts that I think he needs to clean up a little bit. Um, and, you know, uh, as much as we talked about it being a positive that he's so new in the position and everything and, and, and the ceiling, it can be high. Um, I think him playing the, the, the offensive line for this short time, um, he's not necessarily as polished as some of the other offensive linemen that went ahead of him just because they've played it. You know, they've, they've played the role so long. So I do think that, you know, he will need to be able to be polished and so on. And so he's not going to come in and necessarily be, the best rookie of offensive linemen right right out the gate, but in year three, year four, you're going to look at him and say, "Oh, he's a quality, you know, he's a, he's a quality offensive lineman." So I do think that there will be a learning curve for him that will take some time, uh, and then, like I said before, you know, clean up some of those false starts. 
final one I have for you here, and we, and we do appreciate the info and the time. Um, w- you know, we 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 talked about all the things that that Parham brings to the table between the white lines, but could you shed any light on us or for us uh, about the type of guy that the Raiders are getting off the field and, and in the locker room with with Dylan Parham? Uh, he's 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 a good dude. I think um I think the 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 coaches in, in that locker room and in in the Raider media and fans they're they're gonna love his personality. Um he's not he's not one of those, you know, look at me guys, but at the same time, you know, he will um he, he doesn't shy away from media questions. You know, he'll give you some good stuff. He's just a real cool, chill dude who loves to play the game. And so I think his his even kill demeanor um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be good in that locker room. And he's just, you know, he's just one of those guys where once you get to know him, you can't do nothing but, but hope for the best for, for, for that guy. Uh, just cause he just has one of those personalities that we're like, you know, why, why, why not? You know, he's, he's easy to root for. All right, there you heard it. Frank Bonner, the second from the Daily Memphian, and giving us a nice little rundown there of Raiders third round draft pick Dylan uh, Parham. And, and Frank, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the info. And uh, uh, we, we, thanks again for coming on with us tonight. I right, appreciate you having me on. All right, you heard Frank there talk about uh, some of the things that Dylan Parham does well there. And one of the things that stood out to me is when he talked about his footwork. And I, and I think that is a good point that he made there. He mentioned the 500-plus uh, snaps, not allowing a single snap this year, and he uh, attributes that to having great footwork. So I, I do think that is something that uh, – it is something that I read in, in Dane Brugler's uh, scouting guide where he talked about you know feeling comfortable moving in space and being able to uh, be effective – uh, as a puller and, and, and whatnot. So uh, good stuff there from Frank Bonner from the Daily Memphian. All right, we're going to keep things rolling here. We're, let's bring in our second guest this week now from The Athletic, a senior writer who covers Georgia Bulldogs football. And Georgia, as you know, coming off a year with a national championship, they just set an NFL record with 15 players selected over the weekend, and this man was busy covering it all. We are now chatting with Seth Emerson. We thank you for the time, Seth, and I'm assuming it was a really proud weekend for Kirby Smart and that Georgia football program. Yeah, I mean, it was this is a weekend that they're going to be talking about for a while. It's something they can use in recruiting. Um, just, you know, I, they, they anticipated and they hoped that they would set the, uh, the modern draft record. But then when you actually do it, and they did it in six rounds, too, um, it was just it was something else for them. And it was, it was good for the players, too, just kind of cherry on top of a national championship. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have you on here today uh, to, of course, discuss one of those 15 players that were selected running back, uh, Zamir White, uh, who was selected in the fourth round uh, by the Raiders. And, and I think that he finds himself in a really good situation playing alongside a, a veteran quarterback and Derek Carr. And there's a lot of weapons in the passing game, a creative play caller now in Josh McDaniels. And I'm not sure if you heard about it, but over the weekend, the Raiders declined to pick up the fifth year option on running back Josh Jacobs. So the future at the position right now is a bit uncertain. Uh, but I want to start this interview here with uh, discussing some of his strengths. What is it about White that makes you think uh, he can be successful in the NFL at running back? Well, number one, he's got he, he's 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 known more as the between the tackles guy, which made him not as flashy and made him not as 
seemingly dynamic. Another Georgia tailback, James Cook, went higher in the draft, uh, went in the third. But Zamir White got more carries. He was the starter. He was the workhorse. Um, and, and some of that is also the fact that he was coming off of two ACL tears, first one uh, as a high school senior and then the next one less than nine months later as a Georgia freshman. And he had just slowly gained the strength back, and he had two years as the workhorse Georgia starter to kind of show the NFL that he was, you know, the knees were fine. Um, and then, you know, he just, he was reliable. You know, I mean, he wasn't a guy that was fumbling. He wasn't a guy that was making bad decisions with the ball and losing yards. And, and, you know, the, the thing about Georgia is as good as they were as a team, their offensive line wasn't this road grade, just, you know, blocking and opening all these holes for everybody. So Zamir White had to, had to work for a lot of those yards. And, and like I said, he, he wasn't flashy and exciting in terms of a lot of long runs and crazy highlight plays and, you know, leaping over defensive players. Uh, but he, he just did the job and put him on a good offense, good offensive line. And, you know, I could see a guy that is, is a pretty solid NFL running back. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the knee injuries that he's uh, sustained, you know, the, the ACL tears in both knees going back to the 2017 injury, as you mentioned, in high school and then the 2018 season. Um, did you see anything from him in, in the years since that leads you to believe there there's any lingering effects of those injuries? And do you think that, you know, if asked to do so, he could take on a larger workload? I, I think he probably could. Uh, he's like a lot of Georgia guys this year where their college stats were probably tamped down because of not being asked to carry a big load you know, with James Cook there. And also a couple other running backs who were pretty good running backs who were behind them who were going to be the co-starters this year for Georgia. Yeah, he's a guy that potentially has upside because we haven't seen his him uh, have to do a lot you know, he wasn't Brees Hall at Ohio at Iowa State, like racking up all these yards because he was racking a lot of carries and opportunities to have those big flashy runs. Um, as far as the ACLs, and, and you know, that was a while ago. I mean, it, you never know for sure. And it, is he 100% the guy that he was coming out of high school before the ACLs? Probably not. But he was one of the best tailback recruits in the country coming out of high school. Yeah, he was a five-star. He was a big-time recruit for Georgia. So even if he's not 100% of that, that's still pretty good. Yeah, actually, I believe he was the number one running back uh, in, in the country in that 2018 recruiting class. So, yeah, right. I, I mean, he has the pedigree there. Uh, we're, we're chatting with uh, Seth Emerson, senior writer for The Athletic, covering uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. How do you think White will be best utilized in the NFL. You know, in college, we talked about the, the split timeshare, uh, used more on early downs. You, you talked about him, you know, as more of the less flashy, in-between-the-tackles kind of grinded-out guy. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot on third downs or as a pass protector. Uh, does he have the tools, though, to develop into more of a complete back, or do you think it would be wise for the Raiders to, to you know, keep him in a committee role and use him as more of a change of, uh, change of pace back? I think he has the ability to expand. I mean, he did it in drips and drafts. Like he was involved in the passing game. He had some pass catches and, and, you know, the ability to go out and do that. It's just that when you had James cook, you tended to use him 
for that, which is a big reason that James Cook, because of his receiving abilities, went higher than Zamir White. Um, and he also was a good pass pro guy. You know, they Georgia was a little bit more unpredictable on offense the last couple of years, the two years that Zamir White was the starter, which means they passed on first down a lot more than they had in the past, which means Zamir White as tending to be a first down and, you know, running situation back was asked to do more pass pro. And so I, I think Georgia coaches would probably tell you that, Hey, you know, that's a guy that we felt good having back there in a position to, to make those plays. So, you know, I mean, can he be a every down star NFL back? I mean, you know, let's, one thing at a time, let's, let's have him, you know, be a guy that's getting carries and getting snaps uh, for the Raiders and, and go from there. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the leadership qualities. You know, I, w- I was reading that he was uh, pretty highly regarded by his coaches and teammates. He's got a very mm-hmm. close relationship with uh, Kirby Smart. They talk a lot on the telephone. But what else can you share about um, you know the type of person that the Raiders are getting in, in Zamir White? The, the quiet, lead-by-example type. Um, guy's been around or has been through a lot. You know, there were the two ACL tears and working his way back from that, but going back even to when he was a kid, um, you know, he's, he's told the story often. I have a story that, you know, I talked to him about it a few months before the draft, but, you know, he, he was born premature. And so that's why he has the, the cleft chin and he had to have surgery for it when he was in the fourth grade. And, you know, it's something that just kind of always drove him. And he told me it kind of gave him a sense of, you know, there's a reason he's here. And, so he's always pushed himself and, and I could see where he's, I mean, look, everyone's motivated, but I, I don't think he's going to be somebody who is just going to be happy that he got that first contract that he, that he got drafted and he'll be able to say he was in the NFL and live large with the money. I think he's going to push to, to show people that he, he is as good as that five-star recruit coming out of high school. He just had a couple injuries and he, he played on a team that was, you know, had some other really good running backs, so he, he didn't get to show everything he could do and that he'll he'll try to do that on the NFL level. I think he's probably motivated to, to show people he's more than just a guy that, you know, even that, even Georgia fans were kind of like excited to to try somebody else at running back because he was kind of the boring, reliable guy and, and probably not a not appreciated enough for what he did do. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I don't know a ton about him, but based on what I've read about him, he certainly has overcome his fair share of adversity. He seems like he's an easy guy to cheer for. But I, I do have one last question here before I let you run. Um, you know, the, the nickname Zeus, right? And I, I believe he yeah. gets that from, you know, the the endless hours he uh, spends in the weight room. Uh, I've read he's known as a workout warrior. What can you tell us about, about that? Yeah, I mean, he got it in high school. Um, and I'm blanking actually like on exactly how he got the nickname. I think he just, it was just something that his friends and teammates just started calling him. And we've kind of always known him as Zeus. Um, I've been around him and the team and at events and, you know, his teammates just call him Zeus. Like they trying to get his attention, call him Zeus, I'll call him Zamir, you know, and, um, that's another part of his kind of, uh, you know, his oeuvre, to, to put it, or I'm probably mispronouncing it, but, um, you know, he, that, that was who he was coming out of high school. He was this five-star recruit with the name Zeus. And 
you know, even though he had a good career, he was the starting running back on national championship team. He scored a touchdown in the national championship game. You know, he still wasn't even the first running back drafted on his own team. And so I think he's going to be looking to make the NFL where he really shows everyone uh, that he is Zeus again. All right, Seth Emerson, senior writer for The Athletic, covers the Georgia Bulldogs. And Seth, we appreciate the time and uh, great insight there, great rundown on Zamir White. And uh, keep up the great work. We appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks. And I tell you, of all the draft picks uh, that were made over the weekend, I I think Zamir White finds himself in as good a position as any of them because, again, you look at the future of the position – very likely that Josh Jacobs is not back with this team next year. And Kenyon Drake also very, very likely that he will not be back with this team next year. That kind of clears a path for Zamir White to really take on a big role here in this backfield. You know that Josh McDaniels likes to uh, employ a running back by committee, so I just feel like he's in a great position here. Uh, you know, Time will tell here how, how things work out for this kid. I do not expect a large role for him this year, as I said earlier in the show, but uh, things really lining up nicely for him if he should be able to you know, stay healthy, learn the offense this year, learn how to be a professional. I, I think he's got a very good opportunity here ahead of him. Okay, let's finish it up now. This week, we're going to welcome in our final guest, uh, LSU Tigers beat writer from the Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Wilson Alexander uh, is here to fill us in on Raiders' fifth-round draft pick, defensive tackle Neil Farrell Jr. So let's dive right in. Wilson, I'm not sure what the media access is like at the college level, but I'm curious, have you had the chance to have a conversation with Neil Farrell Jr.? I'm, I'm interested to know what kind of guy is he? Is he a quiet guy, a vocal guy? Uh, tell us a little bit more about him personally off the field, if you could. We have had a chance to speak with Neil, um, particularly at the end of last season. Uh, LSU began changing its uh, COVID protocols uh, back to where they were before the pandemic. And so we were able to have some uh, nice one-on-one conversations together. And so I got to know him a little bit and, and spoke with him before the Senior Bowl. And, and Neil doesn't talk a lot, um, at least with uh, media. Um, he's not known as the most... Um, vocal person on the team or anything like that. Um, but he was always uh, thoughtful with his answers, uh, respectful as well, um, even though he did not need to because I'm not much older than he is. He didn't need to say yes, sir, all the time, but he, he always did. And um, so it was a pleasure to always get to speak with him. And um, he spoke, you know, he carried himself well in those situations. Neil, when I look at the Raiders draft hall, there is a common theme there. And, and, and they brought in guys they have a lot of college experience, and they played a lot of games at the college level. It's no different with, with Neil Farrell Jr. He comes into the Raiders with 50 games played under his belt, and, and he was a part of that 2019 championship team. So he has plenty of experience in big games and big moments, and I believe that will help him uh, at the next level. But what is it about his game that you believe Raider fans should be most excited about? He does a good job of collapsing the pocket from the interior of the defensive line. At least he did, he did last season. He was pretty disruptive. Um, he uses his hands well, and he was uh, just he did a good job of getting into the backfield quickly. Um, I think he had seven tackles for a loss in 2019. I want to say nine and a half this past season. Um, not a big sack guy. He probably won't be like a 10 sack per year guy unless the Raiders really bring something else out of him. Um, but he was still able to cause quite a bit of havoc 
in the middle, especially in LSU's uh, almost upset of Alabama last year. Um, he did a great job in that game and got better over the course of the year. Um, he does sometimes have a tendency to kind of get out of his gaps, um, and that can lead to that led to some big runs at times last year. He's going to have to clean that part up of his that part of his game up. But you know, he weighs about 325 pounds. Um, he he's a, it's hard to move him off of his spot, and he does a good jo- job of collapsing the pocket from the front. So when you say disruptive, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, you're talking mostly against the run. He doesn't offer a whole lot in the pass rush. I just want to make sure I understand that correctly. Yeah, exactly. He he was a good pass rusher from the interior. I mean, LSU had some, at least in the last couple of years, had some really good pass rushers on the edge. And but he was their best pass rusher last season uh, from the from that defensive tackle spot. Um, he didn't you know rack up a ton of sacks. Um, but he did a good job of getting in the backfield, and especially when you know teams tried to run up the middle, um, he was a good, did a good job of getting in there and uh, creating tackles for loss. LSU Tigers beat writer Wilson Alexander for the Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, joins us this week on Just Pod Baby. We're getting some good insight here on New Raiders defensive tackle and fifth round draft pick uh, Neil Farrell Jr. And you mentioned the body weight at 325 pounds. I've seen him listed anywhere between 325 and 350. Uh, but at that size, he fits the mold of what new Raiders defensive coordinator Patrick Graham looks for in terms of body size. He likes those big bodied 300 pound plus defensive linemen. Uh, but what I'm curious to know is how does he carry the weight? Uh, you know, I, I see the 40 time, uh, but I'm talking more about play speed. Can he carry the weight and, and does he have good get off uh, when that ball is snapped? Yeah, he definitely did last season. Um, it was something that he kind of developed over the years because he came in as kind of farther down on the depth chart. Uh, I think he was a three-star recruit when he first came to LSU, and it took him a while to develop. Um, but by last season, yeah, he was, he had a good first step. Um, he did a good job of not letting offensive linemen get their hands on his chest pad. Um, by using, you know, he did a good job of knocking their hands away, using his own hands, creating leverage off the ball. Um, it's kind of interesting. He's got some rather – that really matters, but just, he's got pretty skinny legs. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he kind of makes up for that. Um, he's got a lot of, you know, mass still to him and um, certainly is able to use that well. So I was doing a little homework on Farrell in preparation for our discussion here uh, this evening. And from what I read, there there could be uh, some issues with his motor, uh, you know, based on what you have seen from him over the years. Did you see any lack of consistency, you know, in the effort department from him? What can you tell us about that? I didn't really notice that last year so much. There might have been at the very beginning of his career. Um, Neil's story is kind of that he, on the 2019 championship season, he was a backup defensive tackle to Tyler Shelvin and Glenn Logan and some other guys, but he was still one of their better uh, at the end of the year when it was all said and done in terms of statistics. He had like 45 tackles and seven tackles for loss. But And, and then he, going into that 2020 season, he was going to be, um, their starter at defensive tackle, or at least contend for that. And then he opted out for a month. And yet when he came back from that, um, to take after his grandmother, who was hospitalized with COVID at the time. And when he came back and she was healthy, his teammates noticed a guy who he had a better work ethic. Um, that motor was more consistent last year than it had been in the past. Um, I think maybe, you know, him also realizing, you know, his fifth year, this is the time he had to get it done. Then if he was going to give himself a chance at playing in the NFL, um, I didn't notice a problem with that much last season, but it might have been an issue at the very beginning of his career. Yeah, good stuff there. And I just got one more final question for you here. Um, 
what did you see from from Farrell uh, from a leadership perspective? I know it was a tough year for the Tigers last year, you know, with the drama surrounding Ed Ogeron, the head coach. Did he take on a larger role there in his final season to try to help keep that train on the tracks? Maybe inside the locker room, but we didn't hear him as, as being as much of the sort of vocal leader on that team. That really went to Damone Clark, um, who, of course, ended up getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. Um, he was their middle linebacker. Uh, he wore number 18, which at LSU really means quite a lot. It's kind of a leadership number. And Damone was that that presence, uh, that leadership presence. Neil, like we sort of said earlier, he doesn't talk a ton. Um, he's, he's not going to, you know, take, you know, talk your ear off or anything like that. Um, he was certainly a veteran on that defensive line. Um, but he maybe wasn't, uh, in the, so in, in that way he had a leadership role. Um, but it wasn't something that he was known for necessarily on last year's team. Yes, and Raider fans know about that jersey number 18 uh, at LSU very well because... Foster Moreau, right. Correct, Foster Moreau, part of the 2019 draft class, and uh, he's done a nice job for the Raiders. But Wilson, we thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, You gave us a great little rundown there of the Raiders' new defensive tackle, and and I appreciate the time, and, and, and keep up the great work. Thanks so much for having me. You have a great rest of your evening. All right, great rundown there this week from all three of our guests, and I want to give a big thanks to all three of our guests, Frank Bonner from the Daily Memphian, Seth Emerson from The Athletic, and Wilson Alexander from The Advocate. Uh, A lot of info again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope that you feel like you got to know each one of these players a little bit better. All right, everybody, it is time for me to say goodnight for this week. I appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe to the show. Also, leave me a a rating and review if you could. I would appreciate that greatly. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again sometime soon here. I hope everyone has a great weekend. And as always, just win, baby.